0: Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself, because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. As food bloggers, we want to accomplish more, more, more when it comes to our food blogging task list, while also having plenty of time to spend with our loved ones. And Q4 can be an especially hectic season for all of us. I have created a course that focuses on planning and productivity that will open up time for you to focus on the people and things you love this season, and also to devote more time to food blogging tasks that will bring in revenue. This course is a four-week group coaching course that includes accountability as well as community. Head over to eatblogtalk.com forward slash plan with me to get more information and to sign up. You do not want to miss out on this opportunity. You can do so much more than you think you can. And being your most productive self can open up space for so many good things in your life what's up food bloggers welcome to the eat blog talk podcast made for you food bloggers who are seeking value for their blogs and also looking to make improvements in their lives in today's episode i will be talking to amanda gibson from lemon baby and we will be discussing busy moms taking the plunge into food blogging amanda is the blogger behind lemon baby a three-year-old food blog concentrating on gulf coast recipes local restaurant reviews, cocktail recipes, and more. Hey, Amanda, I am excited to jump into our chat today. But before we dive in, take a minute just to give us a fun fact about yourself.
1: Hi, everyone. I okay, so a fun fact, I raise ducks in my backyard and I bake with their eggs and they're the most delicious things you'll ever taste.
0: I've never known anyone to raise ducks. That's so cool. It's the things you learn about people when you ask for fun facts. I love it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's one of my favorites. So thank you for sharing that. I love it. Let's get to our main topic today, which is busy moms taking the plunge into food blogging. And before we start, I just want to define what busy moms mean. So Amanda and I were chatting before the interview, and we have different viewpoints because she has a full-time job And she's a mom and she's a food blogger and a few other part-time jobs. So you are crazy busy. Yeah, I have a few different viewpoints because I started out having a full-time job nine years ago and then also being a mom and being a food blogger. And now for the past seven years, I have been just a food blogger and all of the responsibilities that go along with it as well as a mom. Uh So we have kind of a variety of vantage points I just wanted to point that out, that busy moms, whether you're at home or whether you're out of home, you're a busy mom.
1: Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So going from there, there's just so much to learn when we first dive into the world of food blogging. As you know, Amanda, there are a lot of moms out there who decide to start this journey because they want flexibility Mm -hmm. and maybe some income. And it can be really overwhelming to sort through at first because there's so much involved. So I love that today we're going to be speaking directly to those moms who might be feeling overwhelmed by this job. Maybe they're just getting started out or maybe they're already in it, but Mm -hmm. they just can't quite sort through all of the duties involved. So Amanda, speaking to our food blogging moms out there, what should they be paying the most attention to? Because time is so precious. Oh, it
1: so is. Yeah. Um, it's funny because my my blogging journey has gone through a lot of different like peaks and valleys and U turns and all of these things because I'm I'm so busy and I I didn't have the time. To devote to really researching the path that one should take. At first, I really started it because I have a passion for cooking and a passion for food writing. And I just wanted to do it basically as a hobby. So I didn't know anything about search engine optimization. And so you said it's three years old. I didn't know anything about SEO until about a year and a half ago. I didn't have the time to sit down and do the research and figure out keywords and all of those things. So I would say that um, SEO is pretty much the top thing that a a food blogger has to pay attention to if they want to gain income and if they want to drive traffic to their site.
0: I think SEO is one of those things that often gets ignored, especially by really busy people, busy moms. Because it's it's
1: actually kind of hard to figure out at at first. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it is. And it's not exactly fun. I mean, it's kind of fun once you dive into it and you realize the power it has. But it's not creative. It's not part of the creating your content. So there are so many parts of food blogging that do involve creativity and that a lot of us really enjoy. So SEO typically does not fall under that scope, especially at first. But it is like you said, Amanda, it is so vital and such an important piece of the puzzle because most busy moms start food blogging, at least partially to earn a little extra money and focusing on SEO can definitely start producing real money. Mm-hmm. So what are some recommendations for where to start with this? Because that term in itself is very technical, like right. SEO. Yeah. A lot of people don't even know what it is. They have to Google it.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> SEO is search engine optimization It essentially means that, you know, and if we're speaking about Google, who is the king of all search engines. So it basically makes your post attractive to Google and it, it it does this through keywords. And so a post, and there are a lot of experts who can speak much better on this topic than I can. As, as I said, I'm pretty new to a year and a half to this like SEO, like, oh, that's a light bulb that just went off. I actually know how to do this and I can make my post more attractive to search engines. You basically assign a keyword, a, a phrase, a key phrase to your posts, and then it makes it so that if somebody is searching on Google, your post will be one of the ones that come up. And obviously, your goal is to get to that zero or top or one position in that search result page.
0: So where do you recommend starting with this? I think Google Console because it's free and there's a lot of information packed in there is a good place to start. I
1: do. Yeah. I use the Yoast plugin, the SEO Yoast plugin on WordPress. And that's also free. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There are a lot of free options, especially relating to searches. Google Analytics, I kind of use that in tandem with. Google console. Yeah. And again, going in there, especially if you're not used to it for years, I was like, nope, (laughs) click out (laughs) because it's, there's so much information and it's overwhelming. And if you don't know what you're looking at, you aren't going to want to spend time in there. A good place to start in console is just kind of exploring, put your URL into the, I think there's, it says like insert page or something like that. And then put it in there and it'll tell you exactly the queries that people are typing in that get to that page. So that would be the key phrase that you were talking about earlier. That's a really good place to start. So have a key phrase. For example, if I had apple pie bread, I take my URL for that, pop it in, and then it shows me a lot of people are searching for exactly that, mm-hmm. apple pie bread. So that would be my phrase that I would kind of use to generate the information and the content that needs to go into my blog post.
1: Right. And sometimes there are other there are keyword um, research tools that will show you which keywords you have no hope of ranking for, such as like you said, apple pie bread. So what if you had this like amazing apple pie recipe and you were like, okay, so my keyword's going to be apple pie. That would probably not be a wise decision because it is so saturated. The internet is going to have millions of apple pie recipes. And so you want to maybe make it a little bit more specific, like apple pie with crumble topping or apple pie bread, like you said. Like Those are much more specific keywords that can get more targeted traffic to your site.
0: Yeah, that's a really great point too. And do you have suggestions for figuring out What terms to stay away from? I mean, some of that is kind of like no-brainer. Yeah, apple pie, there's going to be a million recipes out there. Chocolate cupcakes or chocolate chip cookies. But what's another way to figure out, no, I should stay away from that phrase?
1: I kind of put myself in the position of somebody going to Google, trying to search for a recipe. The way that I do it is I try to be as specific as possible. And I don't know if this is how everybody does it. If I say, I want to make a pasta salad and I have tomatoes, cucumbers, and carrots or something like that. And so I would say, okay, Go to Google, type in pasta salad with tomatoes, carrots, and cucumbers. And then so that's kind of how I arrive at my keyword or key phrase for my recipes is I try to be as specific as possible and maybe put those special things that are going to make it less broad at the end.
0: Yeah, that's really smart because... It's free and Google will show you like, you know, type that in and it has amazing results. So I think that's a really good recommendation too. Are there tools either paid or not paid that can help you find like what has a keyword difficulty?
1: Yeah, uh, there's one called SEMrush or SEMrush. I don't know how people say it. (laughs) Yeah. But um, that is one that I've seen, you know, people mention that over and over and over SEMrush.
0: Yeah, I actually use SEMrush and I do say SEMrush. I noticed that a lot of people say SEMrush, but I I don't just, know. <laughs> yeah, it's SEMrush to me. <laughs> but yes, I it is paid. It's kind of expensive, but I absolutely love it. It has so much packed inside of it. There is a tool where you can look exactly and see type in a key phrase and it shows you exactly the difficulty level. Oh, yes. That there's,
1: that, there's that name for that.
0: On <laughs> there <those> is. <laughs> I know. And it's so helpful. And actually, when you subscribe to SEMrush, you get a person designated to your account who is really helpful and they walk you through all of that. Mm-hmm. And they will actually tell you what... Number to look for for keyword difficulty, like right. if it's over eighty, stay away from it. If it's, un- you know, like they'll give you all of the parameters, like yeah. That. The I-
1: search volume, I guess, is what you know you could call it the search volume.
0: So that is a paid option.
1: I am all ears to a really good free
0: tool. <laughs> yeah, because I have not found yeah. one yet. <laughs> well, I kind of like what you're doing, just utilizing Google and typing your basic phrase in pasta salad and then a few things that make your pasta salad stand out mm-hmm. and then just let it let Google tell you what it has to offer yeah for, the, for those keywords I think that's a really good place to start
1: well I was I was just gonna say I think right now would be a really good time to talk about photography because you know say you've got that beautiful recipe for your pasta salad with all of those lovely vegetables and then you know you've got to make that photo stand out and be the one that somebody says, Oh, I want that one. And so I am not a photographer. I have no photographer background or photography background. But I started with my iPhone and just started playing around with angles. And I got all of these really good all of this really great feedback from people, you know, and they're like, oh, these photos are so beautiful. And I was actually, I don't, I didn't wasn't even using like Adobe Photoshop to edit them. I was actually using the Instagram filters to edit
0: them. Oh, nice. <laughs>
1: Just making them a little brighter. you know? Yeah.
0: Whatever works, whatever especially works. in the beginning, whatever yeah, works.
1: Yes, exactly. And then, but I mean, now I look back at those photos and I cringe because I, <laughs> you know, I got two years ago, I, I, my mother and father gifted me a, um, a DSLR camera. And so, you know, obviously doors open. Once you, you know, get the, the major camera, I just have, have really, really worked on my photography. And I actually devoted a little part of our home office that gets beautiful natural light to as like a little studio. You know, I do think, that good content is super important. And that includes like amazing recipes that are flawless and, but also just the pictures that make people, when they look at them, they get hungry.
0: (laughs) Photos are extremely important because However, people are coming to your blog, they want to see that the recipe they're going to make looks amazing. Right. And not only on blog posts, but you made a good point when people search your you know, apple pie bread on mm-hmm. Google. And the little thumbnails pop up you want that Mm -hmm. thumbnail to look really really delicious in some way you want it to pop and speak to people so it's super important to get a really appealing thumbnail that google is going to display for people because that will and that's going to make
1: people click on it yeah absolutely
0: because if you have a crappy photo associated with your recipe there's no way you could have the best copy ever and nobody's gonna click on it. And you could be on the, like,
1: yeah, you could be on the first page. And if that yeah, doesn't yeah. speak to them. Like I I I don't have any examples like that, but I will say that I have a few recipes that are ranking in the top one, two, three, but the click volume is not as high as I would like it to be. And so I'm kind of going through and retaking photos and tr- just trying to get that sweet spot of being on the first page and getting all the clicks.
0: <laughs> That's a really good point and something I haven't put a ton of thought into, but as I go through and, you know, kind of comb through the SEO on certain pages on my website to get it ranking higher, I haven't tried testing different photos because, you know, we have different angles that we use or like maybe one shot is in a pan and one is plated. But mm-hmm. that's a really good idea to test with photo thumbnails to see if that makes a difference and click through. I love that. I mean, I think it would uh, just
1: require maybe taking just maybe five or six or you know, 20 extra photos <laughs> yeah. during, during your shoot and just kind of, you know, maybe even switching up the composition a little bit and, you know, the tablecloth or, uh, yeah, I, mean, I think it would, it would just be uh, kind of like an A-B test of uh, yeah. which one is more uh, attractive to the viewer's eye and which one gets the most clicks.
0: For me, if I am a, User wanting a recipe, the ones I click on tend to be the most colorful ones, mm-hmm. which is why I personally try to use a lot of color in my photos. Sure. I just really like the vibrant, like if something is drab looking and monotone, mm-hmm. <laughs> just like I'm not inclined to click on it. So, yeah, the I think A/B we all kind of would, have our
1: things, you know, we all yeah. have our things that that um, attract our eye to like a lot, a lot of, you know, the modern. Food photography is very monochromatic. It's very white. You know, you've got this like beautiful white background. And I think that's that's very popular right now, but it doesn't appeal to everyone.
0: I loved what you said about just swapping out like a placemat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So easy to do that. It would take two seconds. And really, I mean, it would be super valuable to be able to do testing like a purple placemat compared to a yellow placemat and then just right. test with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm sure a really easy way to see what people are liking and what is making them click Mm -hmm. and then you could carry that over into other posts too if you know that they love red then maybe that would apply to other posts as well so aside from photography because quality content is key these days as is seo what other things can define quality content
1: see i well i mean your recipe has to be well written i think (laughs) and make sense. And, you know, sometimes I know that I've had recipes where I had a typo and I was mortified to find the typo like three days after I published. I know, I know. I I, I know it happens to everybody, but it's just one of those things where you don't want to, as far as quality content, like the quality of your recipe and the ease in which somebody can replicate it is really important. People are basically putting their trust in you following your recipe. And so you need to test your recipes. You need to make sure that every quantity is the correct one. I tend to do a lot of like recipe notes in the body of my post because I like to tell people how they can vary the recipe. Like it say, you know, I have a lot of friends who hate cucumbers and they're like one of my favorite foods. So <laughs> sometimes if I have a recipe that includes cucumbers, I will make a note in above and say like you can always substitute, you know, blah 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 for cucumbers, you know, just yeah. just to kind of let them know that they can feel free to tailor it to their taste because I I've noticed talking to a lot of people, they seem so they they view a recipe as very rigid and very set
0: in stone. It's set in stone. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, and
1: I try to kind of let people know that it's yes you should follow the recipe in the sense that you know it's it's a great recipe but if you want to put your spin on it feel free
0: yeah that's a really good point and I think it's valuable as a user when I'm looking at a recipe all of those notes available because sometimes I'm not familiar with Whatever kind of recipe or cooking process is involved, so it's really good to know that. So I think overstating or more is okay. Yeah, it's, you're never going to have too much. So include those notes, right? And let people know exactly what you're thinking as you're writing it. You could write the notes down as you're making it. Mm-hmm. Jot some things down, but yeah include as much as you can. I think people really appreciate that. Yeah.
1: My notes section of my iPhone has all of those things.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I utilize notes on my phone so much yes, for so many things. And that is a really good. Cause sometimes reason.
1: you don't have, you know, a notebook or I- I'm not a, a notebook and paper kind of person or notebook and pen kind of person. I like to just have something at my fingertips that I can quickly even yes. sometimes I'll talk to text. The, yeah. the recipe note or say like, if you wanted to do substitute blank, you can do that, you know, and I'll just talk to my phone and it'll record it. And then I'll put it into the p- blog post later.
0: It really couldn't be easier. I mean, there are a million ways these days to record mm-hmm. things. I mean, you can, like, if you have Alexa, just tell her, remind me, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then <laughs> I use her all the time. So, okay. So what, Amanda, are some things that set food bloggers apart from one another once a busy food blogging mom has her bases covered what things will make her stand out above the rest
1: Something that I often talk about is finding your own voice, like finding something that only you can focus on or only you can talk about. Like I like I mentioned, I'm a writer and so I pride myself on my words and the way that I can describe a recipe or describe a dish or tell a story around a recipe that no one else can. And I think that's something that's really essential is to figure out what you can offer, and really capitalize on that.
0: Yeah, I I love the idea of finding a unique writing voice because that is such a huge part of what makes each of us unique. And it makes people fall in love with us, really. I mean, it, it's what gives us an audience is you know, finding that individual unique voice of each of ours. But how do you recommend doing that in a time when SEO is so prevalent and we need to be somewhat robotic about the things we write about? How do mm-hmm. you recommend doing that on top of that? That's a really good
1: question because that is something that I do struggle with because I, I want to write all the words. <laughs> And I also want to rank high in Google. It's important to make the words, the, the copy of the post relevant to your keywords, relevant to the, the post title, but also, and this is my own personal point of view, it needs to be engaging and it needs to show personality. And while I don't necessarily, I don't recommend launching into a total non sequitur about how you were taking a walk, you know, through the fall leaves and, you know, and then like 500 words later, it'd be like, Oh, and then I decided <laughs> to make a pumpkin pie. You know, you need to launch into the recipe first or not the recipe, but launch into copy relevant to the recipe so you know in the first paragraph you should have your keyword and you should talk about what it is that maybe inspired you to make pumpkin pie i don't know i I like to have fun in my copy i like to make jokes a little bit (laughs) and that is something that i've been told that sets me apart that i that people they tell me that people come up to me on at a restaurant or something and they say are you lemon baby more engaged local audience, I would say, than a lot of um, food bloggers, because I do focus on local events and local mm. cuisine. And so I do have people sometimes coming up to me and saying, are you Lemon Baby? Or are you Amanda? And, and I'll say yes. And they, you, you and then we'll talk and have a conversation. They'll say, you sound just like you write.
0: <laughs> oh, so you're authentic. That's you're right. a good compliment.
1: I, <laughs> I, it is. It's a very good a compliment, especially writing is so important to me. As far as the other bloggers that I follow and the bloggers that I, that I've seen become very popular, they all have authenticity and they all, if you met them, they would probably speak to you and act just like they write. And I do think that is important.
0: And I think it does take a while to find that. Do you agree? Because I feel like the first year of blogging, I was like, who am I as a blogger and writer? It's just so hard to separate your human self and the way that you talk into writing. I Mm -hmm. think, especially if you don't do it day in and day out, what are some ways for a blogger who maybe doesn't know what their voice is? to figure it out? Oh, that's a really good question.
1: I think asking your friends, I think asking people around you, you know, what are some things that I've said to you that you remember? Or I think sometimes voice can come from other people, like other people giving you feedback can help you find your voice.
0: Really great point because uh, other people have insight into us that Absolutely. maybe we, yeah. we don't think about.
1: Or like ask your best friend, like, what is something that I've said to you that you always remember? You know, and yeah. or just text them so you don't put them on the spot. <laughs> you know, they can get back to you when they when they think of it. But I think that that's something or like, tell me a memory that you have of me that, you know, it was funny or something like that. Or tell me a story that I told you. You know what I mean? So, so yeah. if you basically getting some feedback about persona. And um, I think that could help you find your voice for sure.
0: Also taking note when people say, because my husband says a lot, like, oh, that is so you or like, <laughs> we'll be watching a movie and he'll be like, oh, that's so Megan. I'm like, really? Huh? So it's interesting, like how other people perceive me. And I try to take note of that. Yes, that's and then a great I, idea. Yeah. Incorporate that into my writing. And I think now I'm at finally at the point where my writing does sound exactly like my speaking. But at first, like I said, it's it's not easy. But I think just keep writing too, keep doing it oh, it's all consistently. Practice. Yeah. And not mm-hmm. even like that doesn't mean you have to write a blog post every single day, but maybe start writing in a journal or at least typing out something every single day, like whatever works for you. But I think that's yeah. a really good place to start.
1: I agree. Yeah, I mean, I get way more practice writing than anyone should.
0: <laughs> Are you a writer? Is that your full time job or what? I,
1: so I teach writing at the college
0: level. Oh,
1: so I, teach, I teach composition and uh, literature at a oh. university here. I've written a novel. So oh yes, gosh.
0: <laughs> another fun fact. What's your novel?
1: Well, it, it, it's still yet unpublished um, oh but, that's
0: uh, awesome though yeah yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Very cool. So you are like the voice finder extraordinaire. You probably write <laughs> all the time.
1: I do. I do write all the time. But uh, I think the, the question of, of find helping other people find their voice, that's a really good one. And that's something that I'm going to think more about in the future, especially with my students. I think that's, a, that's something to really
0: contemplate. Or even like the thoughts you have, you know, as you're whatever, walking down the street, like what thoughts do you constantly repeat in your head, incorporating those into your writing too, because we're with our thoughts all the time, every day. Like, what is it? Like 5,000 thoughts a day. So kind of noting, like, what are you thinking? What phrases are you thinking or... When you are in traffic, like wherever, like what are you thinking to yourself and just taking note of that yeah. and use your notes uh, app on your phone to just like, oh, I said that like, or I thought that five times today. (laughs) I don't don't know what I would
1: do without my notes app.
0: (laughs) Yes, agreed. Okay, so finding voice is hugely important. I Mm -hmm. totally agree with that. Are there other things that can set food bloggers apart once they've kind of established you know, SEO and creating good content? What are some other things? Do you have any other ideas?
1: Something that has really worked for me, I created kind of a a local audience that is very engaged because people, they love to share food that was made next door. If it fits into your niche, tapping into your local food community is a really, is a great idea. And that can also garner you, you know, quite a bit of a following as well.
0: How did you start that? How did you get into that? That's a really good question.
1: I love the food of the Gulf Coast. We have such a unique uh, environment here. Our seafood is the top, some of the top in the country. So I, that just came out just of a natural love of it. And then so I just started to focus really on a lot of seafood recipes. And I got the attention of um, local restaurants and chefs. And I uh, did a little bit of freelance work for local magazines. And I interviewed chefs for that. And that was kind of how um, I think I got Lemon Baby on the map as far as my local community um, was, was writing for other publications, just, you know, one-off articles and meeting chefs and, you know, just letting them know that I support them and that I'm passionate about our cuisine and our uh, food scene in my city.
0: I love that you did that. So you took, basically, you took a food that you love, so seafood, Mm -hmm. and you just started reaching out and interviewing chefs at restaurants Mm -hmm. and just kind of seeing what they had to say and then posting about it.
1: Absolutely. Yes.
0: That's such a great idea. And I think something that food bloggers don't typically think to do, I mean, we all have a love for food and we all live in a part of the country. That is unique and has its own flavors and recipes. Sure. So what a great idea to do that. I I think that's brilliant and something that has honestly never occurred to me.
1: Well, I think the reason why it's not done as much is because a lot of times, you know, people focus on just the national traffic or the even the international traffic and not and they might not have a niche that lends itself to their locale. But I think a lot of people probably do.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: and I think it, it works both ways. You know, I think it could work really well for people who do have a niche that that fits well with their their food scene in their community. And Mobile is unique in the sense that our lives pretty much revolve around food. <laughs> it's very much a New Orleans type feel. Everyone's very passionate about their food and their unique dishes, and so that's definitely one way that I you
0: know fit into that. Yeah, and I think a lot of a lot of different parts of the country can say the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's all un- it's unique depending on where you're at obviously, but we all love food and <laughs> the bigger cities that you find, you're going to find a collection of people that love food just like you do. So Absolutely. I think that's And it could just
1: be like making a separate section of your website of, you know, chef interviews or like whatever or brunch, you know, brunches around town, you know, like, It doesn't have to be, you don't have to go all over the map. You could specify, but it does provide a really good way to connect with people, especially the people who would be most likely to support you.
0: Yeah, my wheels are turning. I'm thinking, (laughs) because like comfort food is kind of my thing. So I'm thinking, I know a handful of restaurants in Minneapolis who uh, specialize in comfort food. So Mm -hmm. yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, and those that. yeah, and those are re- relationships that you'll you know possibly enjoy for the rest of the time that you're food blogging. You know, I mean, oh, that's so true. Because I've i just I've really really enjoyed being a part of. The food scene here, and I've been asked to judge a number of food competitions locally, and it's just really fun. It's really fun to get out and have people come up to you and and know you, and it definitely um, helps me keep going. You know, as far as the all the effort that is required,
0: absolutely. And we work from home and speaking to busy moms, yeah. we're busy moms, so we've got those duties, and then food blogging, and honestly. There are weeks that go by when I'm like in Walmart and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this is the first time I've been out. It's glorious in here." And yeah. then I realize, "Um oh, you're saying that Walmart is glorious, but it's because <laughs> I don't sometimes I don't get out much." So that's, that's right. a really good way to launch you into getting out of your house and getting out of your comfort zone a little bit.
1: Sure. I mean, even if you used it just as like your occasional date night, like go to a a new restaurant in town and then write about it. I love it. Kill
0: two birds with one stone. Yeah, because we all know we need
1: date nights. I
0: know. And it's sadly, it's something that gets ignored often of Here, but. <laughs>
1: but but it is yeah. I mean, it's definitely important to moms to 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 get out and um you know enjoy themselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sure. I I love that. So I'm I have something to think about. <laughs> um, okay, so speaking again to busy moms and kind of going through that process of finding our voice, like you were talking about, Amanda. I think it's really important to point out that we avoid comparing ourselves when we're yeah. in those stages of like figuring out who we are. Especially so, new, yeah. new I know. bloggers because exactly. if you
1: look at these, you know, some, some bloggers publish their income reports and it's just astronomical. And you, you think, oh my gosh, I'm either, either you think I'm never going to get there or, you know, I can't possibly do this. Like I should stop now. You know, it just, it's really important. And I call this the vortex of comparison. You just don't want to fall into that because it's really hard to get out of it once you, once you fall into it. And, um, I basically, kind of like I was talking about, about the AP test where we just test which photo is more popular. I just use myself as my competition. Like I use that photo that I took six months ago. Like I'm going to make that better.
0: Mm, I <laughs> you, love it.
1: you know, I'm going to, I'm going to compete against myself because I, I have utter, I have 100% control over that. I don't have control over, you know, how much money someone makes. And it's ridiculous for, for me to even, you know, get bogged down in that. I think it's mm-hmm. just, it's essential just to try to have your next photo be better than the photo yesterday. And I think you can't lose if you do that.
0: It really is counterproductive to compare yourself to anyone else. I mean, I've talked about this extensively in other interviews, but there's, there's no point. And it's, so counterproductive. It's just going to drag you down. Yeah, It's going to make you feel like garbage. It is. It can be very damaging. So the income reports that you mentioned, I think it is kind of a thing when you get to a certain level. I see that they're helpful in certain ways because you can see how bloggers are making the money and you can kind of mimic that. But in a way, it's like... (laughs) I don't want to see how much money you're making. Didn't Mama tells
1: us not to brag. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean it's it's kind of depressing for the rest of us. So
1: just don't read uh, it. I mean, if you're a new blogger, just if you see one on your Google search, just don't click on it.
0: There it is. Stay away from income reports. Stay away. <laughs> I mean, maybe
1: once you're established, and maybe you know you want to get that competitive edge, and that person is doing something that you didn't think about, and that's fine. But just just stay away for.
0: Yeah. For a couple couple of years. Yes. Agreed. So for busy moms, as you know, time is limited to begin with, add food blogging to the equation and suddenly time becomes very limited. So I think it's super important to keep in mind that we should stay away from the things that are not going to be productive for us. Mm -hmm. And we need to focus on those things that are productive and worthwhile and helping us move toward our goals. So Amanda, do you have any tips for helping busy moms know what to pay attention to, and what to stay away from? I know we've talked about like obviously pay attention to SEO, right. and creating yeah. quality content, and that's stay away like from non-negotiable. <laughs> yeah, right. These are the non-negotiables, and obviously stay away from comparing. Um, what else do you have on top of all of that to have at the forefront of our minds?
1: So, if I could do it over again. I would focus less on my social media presence on Facebook and Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I would focus more on Pinterest.
0: Yeah, because that is more traffic driven. And if it's traffic driven, then it's revenue producing. So
1: yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Like, I mean, I wish I had kind of, you know, gotten the the wallop over the head like two years ago. (laughs) Yeah. I really do think that people sometimes focus on you know oh I want I want a beautiful Instagram feed and that's Instagram feeds unless you're selling something specifically um, if you're just posting recipes and posting beautiful photos of your food I don't know if that's necessarily going to drive as much traffic to your website as you'd like and so and and Facebook and Instagram can be extremely time consuming to build a Mm -hmm. following on
0: they for sure can and things are always changing too so yeah once you feel like you have a handle On it, then it changes, and <laughs> you have to and start all over. Is,
1: right, exactly. That's something that I have been kind of battling with on Instagram. Is is the Instagram is the newer, I guess, the newer algorithm, and I, I wish I had spent a lot more time on on my Pinterest strategy for sure.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. Pinterest can Pinterest can be. Extremely helpful in getting that traffic, especially if you are killing it with creating like amazing photography and images that just mm-hmm. appeal to people. It has been a massive traffic driver for my site for a long time. It was like, by far, the most traffic, you know, like way yeah, above right. what Facebook or Google had was able to provide me. So I think Pinterest is really important to focus on. Totally agree with you. Instagram is fun and Instagram serves its purpose. I'm still trying to figure out what Facebook's purpose is. But, yeah. but as far as Instagram goes, there are, there are ways to keep in the loop and to keep current with it without killing yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't have to spend hours a day I literally spend like a few minutes every day on Instagram and I feel like I'm you know I'm getting one post up it's seasonal it's relevant getting Uh a few stories up and it doesn't take me very long at all like you can overthink your Instagram strategy and I think it's great advice to not do that
1: (laughs) I agree I totally agree
0: And it is, I mean, there are parts of it that are extremely fun and can suck you in. to get sucked into other people's stories, but you know, you can always designate a time every day when you watch stories and maybe set a timer or something, just not allowing yourself to get to that point of like, I've been doing this for 30 minutes and I was supposed to be doing something else. Right. So just... Or three hours. <laughs> yeah, or three hours. <laughs> good point.
1: <laughs> yeah, social yeah. media, just limit limit that time or, you know, set, like you said, set aside like, you know, 15 minutes a day or something. And that way – or set an alarm, you know. I mean, alarms yes. are – they're really good at like jolting you out of your – you know, Instagram feed. Yeah. comma
0: <laughs> Another way that I utilize Alexa, I tell her, "Yeah, remind me in thirty minutes to get off my phone or whatever I need to do."
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I need. I need yeah. to start doing that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so one way that I um, try to keep myself focused on the things that are productive and worthwhile. First of all, staying informed on what I need to be focused on. So like we've talked about SEO content, etc. Yeah. But also a lot of it for me is just following my gut. And I know that that's like probably not helpful yeah. <laughs> for a lot of people, but I really do try to listen to what my intuition is telling me. If I am spending too much time on something that is not worthwhile you know you can kind of tell like was that good I just kind of know if it was good in my soul or if it wasn't good you know what I mean yeah like if you if I walk away from an hour spent on Instagram doing basically nothing I feel kind of gross or Facebook or whatever so
1: I think especially if you're spending that hour looking falling into the vortex of comparison. Like I said, like yes. if, you're using, if you're using that hour to see what everyone else is doing and comparing yourself to what everyone else is doing, then that's a, that's a problem, especially yeah. if, it, if it makes you
0: feel bad. I think that's a key point. If it's making you feel bad mm-hmm. and their value in going through other people's feeds and commenting and of liking, yeah. but you know, again, To a certain extent, and if if it's filling you up, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's an amazing recipe. That
1: if it's inspiring you, then that's great. Yeah,
0: right. Exactly. If it's inspiring you or making you feel good about yourself, then great, keep doing it. But if it's making you feel like crap and dragging you down, then stop. So just listen to that inner voice that Mm -hmm. talks to you and tells you to focus on something or not focus on something. I think that's really important too. I
1: totally agree.
0: Yes. Do you have any other pointers for busy moms, Amanda, as we kind of wrap up here, who want to take the plunge into food blogging, but feel super overwhelmed by it all? Something that we
1: haven't talked about is is just niche and trying to kind of figure out where you fit in, in the blogging sphere. And I think a lot of that is passion. And a lot of that is, um, you know, I think some moms might want to, blog about being a mom and, and, and making food for their children that they will actually eat. (laughs) And I think that's great. You know, I think you kind of have to, I think being a food blogger, that's, you know, I want to start a food blog. Like that's, that's too broad. You you got to kind of narrow it down. And, and I'm speaking from experience because I did just that. I was like, I'm going to start a food blog. And I just wrote about whatever i cooked. <laughs> yeah. And that's not always the best strategy for driving traffic to your site. Now, if you don't care about income, then by all means, just do it. <laughs> but yeah. if you if you want that traffic and if you want Google to be like, "Hey, this re- website knows a lot about entertaining and, you know, easy, elegant entertaining." Like then you're like, "Ooh, that's going to direct the traffic over there. So I think moms who want to blog need to figure out what their passion is and try to narrow it down. I mean, you don't want to narrow it too down. An example would be like keto recipes that are only five ingredients that also <laughs> all have cucumbers. And <laughs> like that might be a little bit too specific for an niche. <laughs> but <laughs> But yes. yeah, I mean, keto, that would be an example, Yeah, you know, just, uh, try to, and then there is the other, you know, that we could talk about this forever, but like maybe not concentrating on fads as much as something that's going to have evergreen content that's going to stick around.
0: Yeah. So a niche would be important. Yeah. Food blogging is so all inclusive. You can really put anything into food blogging as a category. <laughs> So figuring out what you like, what you incorporate into your life, what your family likes, what what do you think about all the time when it comes to food yeah. and kind of starting there? And I heard someone say once on a podcast, I love the term micro niche. Food blogging is already a niche. I mean, yes. you know, <laughs> Lots of blogs, but
1: some of them are food blogs.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So going and micro niching it down to keto or whatever your micro niche might be is a really great point to, you can't just, well, you can just dive into general food blogging, but I think you'll find more success and more traction if you do figure out that micro niche right away. Absolutely. Oh, Amanda, this was amazing and fun (laughs) chatting with you today. I have many great ideas that I am taking away. So I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to chat with me. So thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, it was super fun. So before you go, share with us a favorite quote or words of inspiration for our fellow food bloggers.
1: Sure, I think I'm going to just like harken back to what we were talking about before. Just don't fall into the vortex of comparison because, you know, and and if you missed that, it was basically comparing yourself to others, comparing your your income from your blog to that of others. Because if you really think of it as like a whirlpool Whirlpools are really hard to get out of once you've gotten towards the bottom. And it's just concentrate on what makes you unique and um, what is going to set you apart and just do things that make you feel good about yourself.
0: That's such a great visual, the whirlpool, because if you get to the bottom of that, like Amanda (laughs) said, you can't get out. Just don't go there. Stay away from the whirlpool. (laughs) Yes. So Amanda has a list of favorite resources relating to today's topic, and those can be found on her show notes page at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Amanda G. Amanda, tell my listeners the best place to find you online.
1: So my website is Lemon Baby. It's www.lemonbaby.co. And I have an Instagram handle, which is lemonbaby.co. And my Facebook page is also lemonbaby.co.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you again, Amanda. And thanks for listening today, food bloggers. And I will catch you in the next episode. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.